Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Leslie and my favorite dates of the year Usually every every couple or like couple times every year we get to go to American Players Theater in Spring Green, Wisconsin. If you like theater and you've never been there, I I cannot uh, highly enough recommend this place. It's an outdoor theater in the woods. Go and have uh, like a gourmet kind of picnic kind of deal or real simple, and then walk up the hill into the woods and have uh, just top notch. Uh, theater going on in front of you. We had uh, a, a matinee yesterday, uh, and we got to watch Cyrano de Bergerac. If you're into movies, and you know Steve Martin, like decades ago, did the film Roxanne, it's built off this play, Cyrano de Bergerac. And the story is about a guy who's convinced that he's ugly, and other people are convinced that he's ugly, because he's got just a massive nose. Um, and it, it protrudes, and it's uh, part of the costume. Okay? But he is full of wit and full of passion. And his passion uh, is set on the beautiful Roxanne, whom he can never express his love to because he's so ugly, because she would never accept him, so he thinks, right? Uh, and then Christian enters the play. And Christian is a young cadet in the military who serves who is going to be serving in Cyrano's regiment, and Cyrano will oversee him. And Christian is a looker. Christian is like, yes. And Roxanne sees Christian, and she's like, yes, I love him. (laughs) Cyrano, would you help me get to know Christian? And would you promise me that you will take care of him? And will you promise me that you won't let anything happen to him? And Cyrano has a battle with him, right? And he starts to take care of Christian, and he starts to develop a relationship. Christian is everything on the outside and not a whole lot on the inside up here. So he sees Roxanne, and and kind of like his full expression of love is like, and he's like, I can't win her that way. Cyrano, would you help me? Would you give me words to speak to Roxanne so that I could express my love to her? And in one of, I think, the most beautiful and the most exquisite and the most powerful scene in theater, there is a night meeting where they can't see each other's faces, but Roxanne is up high and Christian is down below and he's trying to express what he wants to and he can't. And Cyrano says, let me be your words. And it starts out the scene by saying, I'll feed you lines, and you just repeat what I say. And it gets so difficult that uh, Cyrano takes his hat and his cloak, and he becomes Christian. And for the first time, he's able to speak to Roxanne with freedom and with beauty and with eloquence and just give her his heart. Christian tries to take over and express himself to Roxanne one day, and he says, I love you. And it's after this great exchange. And she says, yes, tell me more. I love you. Thank you. You said that again. Tell me, tell me more. A lot. That's it? That's all you got? And the, the disparity between Christian... Who loves, I think, at a certain level, 
but has a depth of love that is so shallow that Roxanne doesn't want anything to do with it. And then you look at Cyrano, who is welling up within and is trembling in this night exchange because, not just because he's savvy and smart, but because he has been watching, because he has been noticing, because he has been paying attention, and because he knows Roxanne in a fuller, more beautiful way. In the Bible, names meant something. Names often got to the character of a person. And so uh, when there's a name change in the Bible, it's to be noted. Like Abram moves to Abraham. said, your exalted father, I'm going to make you the father of nations. And Sarai moves to Sarah. And God is doing something in their identity. Jacob is born grabbing his twin's heel. And Jacob means supplanter or one who's going to replace. And it's like a power play kind of name. And God changed his name to Israel, which means God will prevail. So rather than Jacob being one who will take and like supplant He wrestles with God, and he comes to a place in his life where God is going to prevail in Jacob's life, and his name and his character change around it. Daniel, when he's taken off um, into captivity, the king tries to change his name to Belteshazzar. Daniel means, his name means, God is my judge. God only is my judge. Belteshazzar was a name that was assimilating into the other culture. The king wanted to wash Daniel of his heritage, of his identity, and change it. And Daniel holds on to his identity to say, only God is my judge, and I will bow to him. All through the pages of the Bible, you see name changes where Simon gets changed to Peter. And Jesus says, you're going to be the rock. You're going to be a little rock. You're going to be like me. And Saul gets changed to Paul. And it's beautiful. The name Paul means humble, which is incredible when you think of the life that Saul lived, killing Christians, and then being changed and humbled by God and the power of his life that came after that. We want to know God in a way that blows up, in a way that is a whole lot more like Cyrano than Christian in the play. That I think a lot, of, a lot of people walk around saying, I love God, and they can't really even articulate what that means. Well, who is God to you? That's a weird question. I've uh, never thought about it like that. I love him. I love God, right? I follow God. I'm a Christian, We want to know God without disparaging that simple kind of childlike faith. We want to say, God, how can I know you more? How can my understanding of you deepen? And not just my head knowledge, but my experience of you. I want to get to know you in ever-increasing ways. And the names of God in the Bible help us to do that. God in the Bible is known by many names, not many gods that all lead to the same place, right? One God has many names that all describe a different piece of God's character. And it's so beautiful. I remember doing a study almost 20 years ago now 
on Old Testament names of God and how God reveals himself and what that means for us and how my, how my understanding of who he is can blow up and is beautiful. God's names in the Old Testament show us a few things. First, that we serve a God who reveals himself to us. We can't skip over how big that is. We have a God who wants us to know him, wants to be known, isn't hiding behind the clouds, isn't saying, I'm going to make you and then I'm going to leave you kind of on your own. I want you to know me. And he shows himself to us. That is a beautiful deal. The names of God also reveal that God is multifaceted. God's character is profound and abundant. And just at the time where we think we know God, he blows up even bigger, that he could never get put in a box. And we want to know him like that. And even beyond that, that these aren't just poetic terms for God that are like beautiful soliloquies and like wonderful words, and, but abstract. These are concrete because these names happen in action. God does something and reveals his name. God provides and is found out to be the Lord our provider. God heals and is found to be the Lord our healer. God creates and we see, he shows himself to us. And we get to see our, our God, our creator God, our holy God. And we're going to take this series. We're going to take this series. We're calling it I Am. And it comes out of the exchange that Moses uh, has with God in the burning bush where God is calling Moses back into Egypt to lead the people out of Egypt. And he says, but who, who will I say sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. And, and that's one of the names of God that we're going to hit in a couple of weeks and just unpack that. But it's a personal name for God that gets translated Lord in the Old Testament and it sounds like Yahweh. Right? His personal name. And we're going to go through these and say, God, how can we, how can we know you more? This I Am series, the primary goal is that we would see God, that our response would be a fuller worship. That we don't want to primarily start by saying, who am I? I want to know who I am. That is a fundamental search in the life of every person. I want to know who I am. But we want to say, wait, let's start here. Let's start with God. Who are you, God? I want to know you. And as I see you, I can't help but worship you and worship you more deeply. But also, when we see God for who God is, we get to see who we are. In real light, not in some kind of made up, uh, puffed up or belittling kind of way. But we get to know ourselves in true humility, in a true sense of who we are. And so that's another outcome of this series. God, we want to know you. We want to worship you. And in so doing, show us who we are. Show us who we are. Because we have a God who relates. We have a God who is relational. Each week, we're going to take a different name of God that comes out of the Old Testament. And one of our disciplines that we're going to do each week is to say, how is this God shown to us in the form of the Trinity? 
Because we don't believe that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. We believe that they're one. And we know that the Bible reveals God as Father, Son, and Spirit, right? And so each of these names for God is embodied in the Trinity. And we want to take a look and say, God, how can we see you in this light? And how can we see you in the Son? And how can we see you in the Spirit? Each, each one, we want to make it a discipline to slow down so that we don't jump to who am I? Because we do that. We want to say, who are you? And who are you as the Trinity? How can we see you? And now let's, now let's see us in that light. So if you have a Bible uh, and you want to, you can open up to the first page. We're going to start right there in Genesis 1.1. It's not going to take us very long uh, to get to God as our subject. Genesis 1.1 starts out, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're going to focus on this name for God today. So uh, the Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew. If you get a, a Hebrew dictionary, this doesn't, you don't have to be a scholar to do this. It, you can look at a Bible and it, it will break up every word that is used in the original language. And if you look up God here in uh, Genesis 1.1, the Hebrew term that is used is Elohim. So it reads, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And if we break up that word, if we try to unpack that word, the L, the L is a word uh, in this word that means mighty. It means strong. It means powerful. And you can see it would take a powerful somebody to create, right? Out of nothing. To create, that takes some strong power. So in the beginning, Elohim, the strong one, created the heavens and the earth. But there's a little bit of a twist because the ending of the word Elohim is plural. So you could make the case, and people do, that you could translate this literally as in the beginning, the mighty ones created the heavens and the earth, which for Christians, as monotheistic, we say one God, whoa, 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 whoa. What is going on? This sounds like mythology all of a sudden. Right? In the beginning, the mighty ones created the heaven and the earth. I would say to you that we are already getting to the Trinity. In the very first term for God in the Bible, we can see hints of the Trinity. If you, if you go to Deuteronomy 6.4, this is another verse where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, which is Elohim, the Lord our God, the mighty ones, the Lord is one. Right? And so it, it, it kind of seals in this idea that we're not talking about multiple deities here. We're talking about one unified God that is beyond what we can think of in one person. And God reveals himself in three different persons. So we would say the Trinity created everything. And you can see it in the creation account. When you look back into Genesis 1 and it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The the Spirit of God is right there in the first chapter of the book. And then God says, 
let there be light. So the word of God is present right there. Do you know who's called the word of God? If you go to the first chapter of the gospel according to John, John starts out, in the beginning, the same way Genesis does, right? In the beginning was the word. Like That's a weird way to say it. Couldn't you just say, in the beginning was Jesus? That's what you're talking about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. So we see God present at creation. We see the Spirit present at creation. We see the Word, which John says, this is Jesus in creation. Colossians 1.16 says, by him... All things were created. Which is a New Testament reference to Jesus saying, Jesus didn't just show up in the manger. Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been. Jesus was a principal agent of creation. The Trinity existed then and created. Psalm 7.17 says, The Lord your God is the God of gods. So this breaks down. Now, what names are being tossed out here? In, uh, in your Bible, often if you have an, a Bible that capitalizes in the Old Testament the name Lord, like every single letter, that's usually a reference to Yahweh. So God tells Moses, tell him Yahweh sent you. Tell him I am sent you. That's this name. The Lord, Yahweh, the, the Yahweh, your Elohim, is the Elohim of Elohims. So Elohim can be a reference to other gods, or even sometimes people. But it's clear, our Elohim is the Elohim of Elohims. Our God is the God of gods. In the creation account, and as Elohim makes... uh, his entrance on the scene, what we can see is that God created life. People have come to use a term that says God created out of nothing, that, which means God didn't just readjust stuff and then everything happened. There was nothing. And then God said something. And out of his mouth came everything that exists. God created out of nothing. I can't think of a more powerful act. We get real good, right? We get real good at uh, creating things, at figuring things out. Science is incredible. The deeper science gets into the way things are wired, we can start to do things that actually, I think, test and cross over Uh, The ethical, what we should be doing, what we can do and what we should do, I think gets crossed in science. But science has not yet figured out a way to make something out of nothing. It can't be done unless you're God. God creates everything out of nothing. Which also means for us, we don't create ourselves. You didn't create you. Sometimes 
we can have a tendency as people to question the job God is doing. God, if you knew what you were doing, this wouldn't happen. God, how could you let this happen? And it's real, right? It's real, and it seems like we should question that. But we have to be very, very careful. The book of Job is given as a response to somebody grappling with tragedy, beyond tragedy, beyond tragedy, and him having a conversation with some friends and with God to say, I I question what you're doing. And when God finally shows up on the scene to address Job, it's not fun, but it is amazing. If you go to Job 38, we're going to start to read this, and uh, we're not going to be able to read all of it, but it is incredible. If you look at this as a, um, for who God is, the answer A lot of these questions are rhetorical questions. A lot of these questions are not so much God, like, not knowing the answers, as in making a statement with a punch. God grows tired of the conversation that's happening with Job and his friends. And then Job 38 starts his response. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's an entrance, right? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Oh. um, Okay. And he's not done. He could be done, right? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, the thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set the bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no farther, and here your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From their wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. And for the rest of the chapter and the next chapter, God expresses himself. I want you to see how big I am. How dare we put ourselves in place of him and think that we know more. And this is not some kind of uh, Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? This is God who has everything to back it up. Where were you? I I wasn't. I, I wasn't. God, you have always been, and you will always be. 
and I'm without words in your presence. We don't create ourselves. We don't get to tell God how to do his job or how to create or how to run things. We submit. We bow. We are low. So the second point I would say is justice is close to the heart of God. Justice is close to the heart of God because all people are created in God's image. In Genesis 1, it says, God, let us make man in our image, right? Which I think is another allusion to the Trinity. Let us make man, make uh, humankind in our image. And it says, in the image of God, uh, he made them. Man and woman, he made them. Like, together, we are made in the image of God. Every single person in this world. And when you see God respond to injustice, it's because injustice has a way of trying to steal away the image of God from somebody. Injustice looks at somebody and says, you are not worthy. You are less valuable. I don't have to pay attention to you or I can shove you under my foot so that I get what I want because I'm more valuable. Injustice has a way of saying the image of God is less in you. And God has none of that. God is a God of justice because God created everybody in God's image. That's why God gives attention to the margins. That's why God shows up in scripture and says, I'm going to break chains. I'm going to set prisoners free. I'm going to take care of the poor, for the widow and the orphan, because these are all people who bear his image and it's being stolen. It's being kicked around. And God says, I, I want none of that. You are not God. We are not God but we bear his image. And in bearing his image, we recognize so does everybody else. And so, justice is key to who God is. And it's not just the God who creates and the God who seeks out justice. I want you to know that God knows your name. I want you to know that it does get very personal. The Psalm 139 is this beautiful poem about how God knows you and says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And fearfully like is this kind of like, this was a holy space. This was a place of deep, deep reverence. How wonderful God put you together. Stitch by stitch, he knows you. The creator God made everyone in his image and he knows you. He knows your name. And sometimes we doubt that. I'm betting sometimes you doubt that. That you doubt God's affection for you. That you doubt God's intimate knowledge of you and his acceptance of you in that he pursues you. In that he won't give up on you. You know, I'm not good enough for that. I'm, I'm too dark for that. And I want you to know that's never the case. 
When he calls you to do something, he also equips you to do something. When he looks at you, he doesn't see less than the image of himself. So Moses was a guy who struggled with it. God called Moses to go and set the people free, right? And Moses, if you read through Exodus 3 and 4, has five different objections. He starts out and he says, like, whoa, uh, I don't, I'm not going to know where to go. He says, who, who am I that I should do this? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll lead you. He says, well, what if, who will, the, who will I say sent me? Like, you're not here. You're like, this is burning bush thing is cool, but who am I going to say sent me? He says, tell him Yahweh sent you. Tell him I am sent you. That'll get their attention. What if they don't believe me? I'll, I'll give you signs. I'll, I'll take care of that. Okay? I will show them proof that I'm with you. And Moses said, that I'm, I'm not eloquent. I don't talk good. I, I'm not going to be able to persuade anybody. You know what God's response to that is? It's kind of like Job. He says, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? I made your mouth. I can make it work. Okay? And your inability gets shown as my ability. Okay? That we wouldn't rely on our own strength, our natural abilities. And by the way, where do those, all those come from? They don't come from us. We don't create ourselves. God gives those to us. We fail to recognize it usually. And we operate in our own strength, which is weird because that's not even our own strength. Because if God pulls the breath out of us, we have nothing. We have nothing without God, right? But we operate as if he's not present, as if he's not enabling the next breath. And God said, you don't have to worry about what comes out of your mouth. I will help you. I'll even give your brother Aaron. He can speak good. He'll speak with you. I'll be there helping you. And then Moses still says, okay, please just know. Please just send somebody else. And God gets mad. It's like, okay. The God who is ever patient says, Go, go and do it. Go and do it. God is the creator, and we worship him. As we worship this morning, as we turn back into worship, I want, I want us to have our minds on not just a savior, but a creator. A creator who becomes a savior. A God who made us who sustains us and who redeems us. And as we think about that, it blows us up. Isaiah 42 says, Now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your Elohim, the holy God of Israel, your Savior. And a few verses later, it says in verse 7, we are created 
for his glory. We were created for his glory. Now, glory means uh, to give esteem, to represent, to point the way, to say this, this is who should get recognized. We are created in his image and we bear his image for his glory. That is to say, if you look at me, I want, you to, I want to mirror God. If we look at each other, we see God's handiwork in the mix. We don't just see people. We see the divine. We see God all over that. We reflect and we are bearing his image and we are giving God glory even when we don't recognize it. Even when you don't recognize it, you are giving God glory simply because of your existence. That to me is incredible. People who don't know God and don't love God are bringing God glory because even they bear his image. There's a passive uh, part of that. I can't help but give God glory. I can't help but bring uh, God glory. I can't help it because of the way that I was wired. But there's, there is an active side to bringing God glory, right? To go through the motions and just to say, well, it'll just be, and I'll give God glory because I'm made in his image and I don't have to even try. That's, that's, a, that's passive. There's an active component, a cooperative component. 2 Corinthians 3.16. I love this passage where God in the Old Testament goes up the mountain and he hears from God and he comes down with the commandments. And now every time they talk about God, Moses has this veil covering his face so that the people, because they'd be blinded by the presence of God in Moses and it would just burn at them. And so they put a veil over their face and it, it hid the glory. And 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, When one turns to the Lord, that is, when a person sees Jesus and says, I want that. I want to bow before God, my creator, my sustainer, my redeemer. When one turns to the Lord, the veil, the veil that separates us, that hides the glory, is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all... All of us in the church who bear the name of Christ. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes by the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is to say, when you are uh, the smallest child, the unborn, bears the image of God. But as we grow we grow even more into his image. And with unveiled faces, we get to reflect who he is and we grow up into that. And the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, enables and empowers and breathes that into life so that we are transformed. We are not who we used to be. We are different. And we bear God's image in ever-increasing ways. Jeremiah 31 Uh, verses 31 to 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke 
though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, Elohim, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each, uh, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. When we have Christ in us, when we have the Spirit flowing through us, we are continually transformed, and we reveal His image, and we bring Him greater and greater glory. And this isn't, again, something that we create for ourselves. We didn't create our life in the first place, and we don't create the transformation within God is doing that. He continues to create. He continues to create in you and in me. I want you to recognize the image of God in you. I want you to pursue, pursue the transformation that God only can give you where you continually open up and let God in and keep peeling layers of yourself back to say, and that too, take that too, take that too. I want you to continue to transform me. And I want you to do that for other people. I want you to look at people and I want you to see the image of God in them and call it out. They may not see it. They may not know about it. And you have a powerful opportunity to look at somebody and say, I see the divine in you. Not like a, you know, coming from within and just think that, you know, I see God in you. The creator God is all over this. And he knows you and he loves you and he wired you and he knit you together and he is calling your name. I want you to hear his name. I want you to respond to his voice. It means if we're made in the image of God, we bring him glory. If we're made in the image of God, we can call that out in other people. If we're made in the image of God and we recognize God as creator, what does that mean about us? God calls us to be creators. God calls us to be people who would bring things to life. That doesn't mean we take the place of God, right? That means we reflect him, that we look more and more and more like God. And we start to be culture shapers because we're giving life. We're creating things in God's name. The first two commandments of the Ten Commandments say, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other Elohim before me. And you shall not make for yourselves. And it goes into idolatry, right? We are called to be creators, but not to make anything for ourselves. We're called to bear his image, but not have any other God before our God. And I find that incredibly powerful. It puts me in my place, but it doesn't devastate me. It rocks me. And shatters me, but it doesn't break me, right? The God who, whose voice I hear and tremble at 
is the God who cares for me so deeply in that simultaneously I would have a fear of him. I would have a fear of him and not ever, ever want to be out of step because he could crush me. And yet at the same time, recognize this is a God who reveals himself as a parent to me, as a father to me. We have a God who in Jesus came for me and sacrificed his life for me and a spirit who fills me and gives me an identity and an authority that I would not otherwise have. And I am amazed at myself because of what God is doing in me. And I'm amazed at you because of what God is doing at you. And my worship grows. God, the creator, who is still creating. It's incredible. Next week, we're going to take a look at the holy God. The God who is not like us. A God who is altogether other. Altogether different. And how he calls us to be different. This morning we're going to re-engage in worship. To say, we want to bow before you, God. We want to take the time where we recognize you and you alone are on the throne. And we bow to you. We worship you. We put our lives before you. And you lift us up. We thank you for that. As we move into worship, we're going to have a time of communion. It's a wonderful, a wonderful time of perspective where we get to honor, honor God and look at Jesus and the cost that he took upon himself to bring us home, to redeem us. We take the cup and we take the little cracker and they represent, Jesus said, this is my blood and this is my body. This beautiful, powerful metaphor of what he's doing. And we never want to take it for granted. And we take that and we use it as thanks. And we use it to move us into worship. Let's do it. Let's pray. God, our Elohim, the mighty, mighty God, you created out of nothing. came out of your mouth and was that you would create the laws of nature that you would create uh, everything that we see the science at its best can only can only reveal what you have done Father we look around and we're amazed at your creation we look around in this place as we are called as we are called, mankind, humankind, men and women and children are called the pinnacle of your creation. Made in your image. God, would you continue to transform us? Would you continue to let us bring you glory? We worship you, our creator. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.